In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. If, in fact, the District of Columbia was a largely Republican city, these members would be on the floor arguing for voting rights for the District of Columbia, uh, just as the radical Republican abolitionists gave us the vote, which was then taken from us and gave us home rule. I will not yield, sir. The District of Columbia has spent 206 years yielding to people who would deny them the vote. I yield you no ground, not during my time. You have had your say, and your say has been that you think that the people who live in your capital are not entitled to a vote in their house. Shame on you. Betches Media presents. Donald Trump was a a stain on our country. I'm someone's daughter. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Suck Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Brian Russell Smith. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Suck Podcast, where Twitter meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. That was Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton in 2007. Congresswoman Holmes Norton is the delegate from the District of Columbia, which is not a state. Holmes Norton has been fighting on behalf of her residents for decades to make it such that was in 2007, and she has since put forth so much legislation. What you heard was her being interrupted while talking about it and very fairly said, uh, DC has been yielding for a very long time. And we have a longer interview with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton at the end of this podcast, talking a bit more about DC statehood and why it's fucked up that it's not a state in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure she'll say this, but it's literally insane that. Yes. um, I mean, verbatim, that's how she will say it. Yeah. (laughs) That people who live in the capital of the country don't like aren't actually represented. It's really pretty wild when you think about it. Especially when you think about, and you know, we didn't talk about this too much, but I don't like to be too like, well, Wyoming shouldn't be a state. I think they all should be states. But when you look at population size, it just is, we talk about this in the interview, but Wyoming has a black population of like 1% and they get two senators and a congressperson. And DC has a black population of about 45% and always has been a heavily African-American city and they don't get any senators or congresspeople, which sure seems like, suppression and disenfranchisement yeah yes but also just like completely illogical like you can kind of understand the argument about like the territories not being states but the idea that dc the capital which is like flush with the mainland like it just doesn't (laughs) really make any sense like yeah it makes no sense it makes no sense and of course like the events of january 6th sort of exposed uh 
what happens, what the lack of statehood means for their actual state, for their actual safety. So stick around for that. That's at the end of today's show. For today's show, we're going to talk about some Super Bowl highlights. It's now a sports podcast (laughs) and give an update on vaccine rollout. Sammy and Brian, man, I feel like we did the podcast the last after Super Bowl. And I mean, I don't know if Elise or Millie or Caitlin like sports. I'm going to lean towards no, but we are really, I feel like we're just a disappointment when it comes to sports. Yeah, I did not watch yeah. it yesterday. Unapologetic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was looking at the outline and I was like, oh shit. I don't, I didn't see a single ad or the or the halftime performance, but I did watch the performance right before we came on just so I could have. My partner yeah. is from, from Europe and I don't care. And so obviously he doesn't either. We watched the Britney Spears doc, you know. Oh, amazing. Did I watched that after good. the Super Bowl, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't, not because like of this, like, I don't care about the Super Bowl, but like it was on. Um, we could have made Framing Britney Spears our first. Yeah. Does Avi like this? Is he into football? So his family is from Boston. So they're Patriots fans. Um, lovely. And and um, so he was like excited about Tom Brady, who I, that's what I, that's what I, was I so have my own feelings like, about. Right. I didn't. That's why I was like, wait, why thought Tom Brady played for a New England team, but he was for Florida. So I, 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 I seriously have no idea what's he going. He followed Trump yeah. to Florida. He and he and like another maybe two players, I think, from the Patriots are now on this Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it's like the Patriots whole team like went on <laughs> basically. Mm. But like, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I doesn't not make me think. I mean, we had this. to choose between a team with Tom Brady, who is either he is a Trump supporter or a Trump supporting apologist, or yeah. a team with a racist mascot. So I didn't <laughs> feel super. But it is funny because sometimes I'm like, sometimes I'm just so I opt out of cu- culture so hard that like I woke up this morning I was like, oh oh, it's like more than just a normal football game. Like I guess I should have memed. Like it didn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like didn't even occur to me well, the half did not even occur show to me. and like maybe some of the commercials um were interesting to me you know? it looked <laughs> like a pretty crowded game for a happening no, in the it middle was. of the pandemic so so they had like just a few, that way. they had a few thousand people there like a low capacity but then the rest of it was cutouts of people so it looked like this the the stands were full but it was really just cutouts of people <laughs> Yeah. Brian, what did you think of the halftime show? I thought it was subpar. I mean, you watch these ladies do it. You watch Beyonce, J-Lo, Shakira. Beyonce's halftime performance. Yeah. Gaga. Holy shit. They are like leaving everything out in the field, pun intended. Mm -hmm. And like, you can tell that they've been like working and their craft, their voices are perfect. They're yes. hitting every note perfectly. They're dancing, they're moving. They have like, you're like, wow, that's a lot of choreography. Wow, that's a lot of movement. Yeah. He just fucking stood there yeah. and he didn't even sound that great. And I'm just he like, did not you sound good. And he had so many opportunities, he has so many collaborations and he has so many opportunities to bring a woman out on stage with him and perform and like break up the show or change his outfits, do something. Yeah. It was so unremarkable compared to yeah. the other, for the game. Yeah, the whole thing was unremarkable. It's a pandemic Super Bowl. Like, I, you know, how exciting is it going to be? Right. Exactly. I mean, I just think I just think we hold like the women are held to a much higher standard, or they they hi- hold themselves to a much higher standard because I don't know if everyone's going to be talking about this performance the way we've talked about other ones. Well, it's probably no. just like to make it to that level of stardom for a woman requires 
more than one skill. Like, yeah. like you have to be able to sing, dance, sing and dance like at a really high level at the same time. And mm-hmm. right. good. Yeah. When you ask Beyonce, right. like, do you want to do the Super Bowl? She's probably like, okay, do I have the time, the resources? Can I do it up? And you ask the weekend, she's probably like, sure, I'll be there. No problem. Yeah, well, JLo Whatever. talks about how she like couldn't walk the next day. You know what okay, I that's, mean? That's like, how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And you're just like, woo. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> the performance level at the Super Bowl should be top. Like, mm-hmm. it just should be. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that performance happened uh, after an NFL commercial, which stated that the organization has spent $250 million in their commitment to combat racism, but they failed to recognize and made no reference to Colin Kaepernick. Man, um, man. I mean, they are a billion dollar organization and right. have been for and have have, you know, taken part in institutional racism for decades. So I think that 250 is, uh, you know, a good starting point. <laughs> right. It's a good starting point. But it was definitely like somebody in a meeting was like, what's the lowest amount of uh, money we can give without people saying, oh, that's too low. Apparently they failed. They failed that benchmark. But a lot of people were also talking about a Scientology ad that people, did you guys see this? I see a Scientology ads just in my normal life all the time. And they're really disarming because when I, before I knew what they were, I see them and I'm like, I, I need, yes, I need this. Take me in. <laughs> Where do you <sighs> see them all the time? Good question. I wonder because I guess Hulu. You get targeted ads for Scientology. What does that say That's about really you? That's really funny. Amanda. I've never. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I do. It's probably because I search like self-help stuff all the time. But um, I don't know. Do we think that those sorts of ads should be permitted on the Super Bowl? Or do you think there should be some standard? I just want to point out, like, imagine if there was an ad for Islam. Like, yes. just imagine. So That's what I was hoping somebody would point out during the Super yeah. Bowl. Oh, right. It's like, it's okay. I don't know. Why does the Church of Scientology need yeah. an advertisement? I mean, that's also I mean, not a bad idea. they can afford it. It just tells you how much money they have. Why are you spending, why are you spending your money on a Super Bowl ad? Like, as I don't know any is. synagogues who could afford that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the coronavirus pandemic was, it felt to me like a real presence also because I didn't really care about the game. Many of the 75,000 audience members were vaccinated healthcare workers and first responders. They were honored with a poem from the star of the inauguration, our girl Amanda Gorman, stunning standout. Um, And they watched, as Sammy mentioned, there were 30,000 cardboard cutouts. But seeing a stadium packed with mostly human healthcare workers, it really demonstrated how far we've come in this pandemic because amid this, we are finally seeing some positive signs. Today, we want to talk a bit about the vaccine because I just think we should be standing the vaccine hard as a country and we're not enough. I am standing the vaccine so hard. I don't even, I don't want to talk about what I would do at this point to get a fucking shot. Like, like I really, the, the things I would do. I know. Some days I'm like really optimistic about it. I'm like, it's, I'm going to get it sooner than I think. And the other days I'm like, I'm never getting it. It's going to take forever to get it. I feel that way too. New York released like their list of preconditions and thank God I am healthy. Um, I'm really grateful that I don't have any of them, but I noticed that obesity um, was on the <laughs> list. And to be frank, like 
I think if you just like give me another week or two, like I can get there. I think that we should flag how fucked up the BMI is. Is that how we should call attention? I think that should be a diet start tomorrow project where we use this precondition to show that the BMI for obesity is stupid. But yeah. if you can use I it mean, now. I'm a little afraid to weigh myself to find out. Like, Sammy, I need you for I'm the back. sup to get on a scale. Report back. <laughs> I mean, if you were really dedicated. I really feel like I could be close. Like, like I don't, I don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah. I am um, a friend of mine lives, her parents live in Korea and it's really interesting. They aren't getting there soon. I think they're in their sixties, but in Korea, at least people they've talked to, everybody knows when they're going to get it. They just are now on that schedule. So they know they're going to get it in July. Would you guys rather know exactly when you're going to get it, even if that was late? Or would you yes. rather just interesting? Yes, 100 You could actually plan. You could actually plan. I would because I would be like, oh, so I'll be fully vaccinated by this day. Here is my itinerary for the, <laughs> for the, right. the that, that weeks leading after that. You know, I think I would. I think I would plan something. I'd rather not know because I have one thing I care about, and that is my vacation, my delayed honeymoon to Italy in August. So I think I will be able to. I my guess is I will be vaccinated by then. Yes. Um. My hope, but I don't. I don't want to know in case that's not the case. And I, I kind of don't want to know. I like living in this world of like, it could be next week or it could be like in three months because mm-hmm. at least there's hope. Like if, if you tell me I'm getting it in June, the next four months are, are shot. Whereas like, because I don't know, I'm like on alert and I'm kind of like, you know, it's like a rat with unconditional or that's an interesting, yeah. that's an interesting point. <laughs> just yeah. ready to jump in at any time. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like it would make me feel a little more hopeless to not have the hope that it could come sooner than I think. True. I mean, I think, it, yeah, for me, it would depend when it was. If you told me you're going to get it in September, I'd be like, I wish I didn't know that. That's <laughs> I wish true. I didn't know yeah. That. Like, I, right, right. I don't want to know that I'm not going to get it before this vacation. I don't like, I don't think, I, th- I don't sooner. think September. I think we'll be okay before that. Right. Jordana, Aileen, and I actually made like a bet. I don't even remember what we bet, like, but we did each write down a date that we think that it will be. Um, I picked the earliest date. Interesting. Which Interesting. I think was what, like what May did 15th. you bet? I think I don't remember what we bet. I think it was like someone buys someone dinner, like something stupid. <laughs> <The ARL>. um, <laughs> yeah, something like dumb. But um, I think that I put May 15th. Nice. And then they chose like June 1st and June 15th. Yeah, May 15th would be awesome. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. 
a gifting moment is always just around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. So... Let's discuss what's going on with Miss Vaccine because we want to stand her a little bit harder. We are rounding a corner. And even though the three of us don't know when we're getting vaccinated, it does feel like by some point in 2021, we might return to some form of normalcy. And that is largely as a result of the pretty historic and mind-blowing work done on this vaccine. Vaccines normally take at least 10 years to be developed. We have multiple COVID vaccines in a little over a year. So Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine are the first effective mRNA vaccines, which means that they do not use weakened or inactive versions of the virus to coach our bodies. Oh, sorry. Wait. Wait, they do or they don't? They, they don't. Okay, sorry. I almost... Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines are the first effective mRNA vaccines, so that means they don't use weakened or inactive versions of the virus to coach our bodies into creating an immune response to COVID. So this is like, even if this vaccine were for an obscure disease that wasn't circling the globe and infecting and killing people, I feel like it would still be in the news and we'd be talking about it because this is just so huge. And basically, virtually all the vaccines and candidates are more effective than the flu vaccine, more effective than we could even dream of. They almost all completely protect from serious illness. And that's what we're really trying to stop, to stem the tide of death, and thus far have appeared to hinder COVID deaths. Johnson & Johnson are developing a single dose vaccine, while the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are two doses and have one shot with a booster a few weeks later. So let's talk about AstraZeneca. Well, let's just first say, like, if you're telling me that, like, all I'm going to get is the coronavirus cold, I mm -hmm. will go out there and live mm -hmm. my life and I will feel great about it. Yeah, right. It's kind of like, um, you know, sometimes like this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you can get the flu shot and still get a flu. But right. you may be, yes. you know, like and. Maybe it's just this, it's the same sort of thing, I guess, not to compare it to the flu. No, I mean, my real fear with COVID was that I would get one of those like severe, like those almost random severe illnesses yes. that you lose yeah. your, you, you, you're not okay for months. Like, mm -hmm. or you're like, or it's one of those things where mm -hmm. you just are the person who ends up in the hospital. Like 
that was my real fear. Not like getting it and being having like a mild case more. So mm-hmm. like just the fear of like, what if it's really bad and it, it hinders me or gives me some yeah. sort of lifelong impact. So, yeah. So I guess it's sort of like, let's say everybody, everybody should get their first dose, two doses, but even by the second dose, everybody's walking around just a little less likely to make each other deathly ill. And that's why we have mm. to pick this up because there are variants that are moving around. So let's talk about the variants. According to a new Oxford study, the AstraZeneca vaccine has a 10% efficacy rate against the new variant. So as a result, South Africa has halted distribution of that vaccine as this new variant spreads. However, in a study by the University of Texas, antibodies in patients who had received the Pfizer and Pfizer and BioNTech vaccine were shown to be 81% effective at combating this new variant. So basically, just like what Sammy said, this is stopping the type of disease that is killing people really quickly and spreading. And thus far, 8% of Americans have been vaccinated. That's the first time I've heard a number that feels like, I feel like I can see how that functions in society. And 8% is almost 10%. And that seems like we're finally getting there. Well, it's the, the rate is clearly picking up. Also, there was a study about AstraZeneca that they that it actually prevents transmission, which was a big question Huge. whether or not these vaccines prevent transmission. Because um, obviously, if you can like be protected but still transmit it, that helps much less than exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was like a great news. I get any vaccine, literally, just like I don't totally. care. Yeah. Um, even the Russian vaccine, you won't believe I'm saying this, <laughs> has been found to be very effective. Yeah. I wouldn't get the Russian vaccine just because, like, I can't. Trump but, will get the, the Russian vaccine. But, but I will say that, like, okay, in their country and, and whoever they're distributing it to, great. That means that worldwide there will be more vaccines. So no complaints. Yeah. Today. It's picking up. It's picking up. Dr. Fauci says we're getting to a point where we're – I keep saying you can see the path, but vaccine distribution, the rollout has been kind of a mess for many months now. I mean, we're into February and this started around mid-December. So it's about Mm -hmm. time. Obviously, the new administration we know got in there and there was no infrastructure. Around 51% of Americans who haven't received a COVID vaccine have indicated that they plan on getting vaccinated once it becomes available to them, while 26% say that they probably will. This is according to census data. Are these numbers surprising to you guys? No, no, no. That's exactly <laughs> the numbers I would think because 51% of people voted for Biden yeah. and, yes. and uh, there's about 30% that's fucking nuts that is living in QAnon anti-vax essential oils land. And then yeah. like you have the half of the Republicans who are like, okay, we'll see. Well, you know, it's also I might be like, wrong about, yeah. I, 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 th- I think like, you know, for what it, for all of us being like, fuck these like Marco Rubio's and Lindsey Graham's like getting the vaccines like, yes, it's fucked up for them to, like, downplay the virus and then get the, the vaccine for it. But also, like, I just, like, can they, they need to do, they, these these people who aren't planning on getting the COVID vaccine, who are more likely, you know, Republican supporting people, I think the Republicans have an obligation to really be like, you need to get vaccinated because it's not just for us, you know, it's, it's not just for them, it's for us too. Right. So, like, like, so there just needs to, I guess there just needs to be more of a PR push all across the board because that is, you know, we can't, we all, like, it, it, especially in these instances, we all are really relying upon each other, you know, <laughs> because... Like, you know, it, it, as much as we don't want that to be the case, it's it's true. It's sort of like a lesson. 
in like giving a fuck about anyone else but yourself. This whole thing has been yeah. a lesson and we've all failed except for New Zealand. Yeah. Right. right. And Australia. Oh my God. <laughs> there, there's like, there, there was these videos going around on Twitter of like a gay club and everyone was dancing to Chromatica by Lady Gaga, like the new Chromatica album. Oh God, Shame. I, I want to do that. That's I know. Rough. I want to, right. I want, I've reached the point. I think many people know I'm a little bit of a, of a recluse. If you listen to Dive Starts Tomorrow, um, I've reached the point where I've gotten my fill of being alone inside. <laughs> like, like, it's enough. Like, I've reached the limit. Totally. Which is not, it says a lot. Right. Yeah. I, like, get, like, invigorated by small talk now, which is bizarre for me. That's never happened. I usually <laughs> avoid it. But now I have, like, a cute little conversation with a neighbor, and mm-hmm. I feel, like, I feel great. I feel amazing. <laughs> Right. Like I've now, I now see why people are like, if you have depression, you should go do shit. <laughs> like we're basically exactly. forced because what we're all experiencing is essentially like the behavior of a depressed individual. Like you stay at home, you don't want to go anywhere. You don't interact with people except it's being forced on us. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is usually not allowed. Usually that's a crime, but <laughs> ourselves and we're stuck in here. So the Biden administration is making moves to distribute vaccines to most Americans by the end of summer, which is the timeline we were sort of referring to before. They've increased their weekly supply to states to 10.5 million, and they're launching an initiative to send a million vaccines to pharmacies and minority communities to address the racial disparities in vaccine distributions. So approximately 40% of those vaccinated so far were racial and ethnic minorities, but information on the race and ethnicity of vaccinated people accounts for only 50% of those vaccinated. So basically what that means is we don't have great data on who is being vaccinated. And we know that people of color are disproportionately making up serious disease and perhaps vaccine administration should be targeted to them. I mean, my family, most of my family is vaccinated. They live in Mm -hmm. North Carolina they're white. I don't know why that is. I don't know what the connections are, but it's just when I see this happen, like. I was talking to a friend. So I like, I don't, there's no, like, I don't have any like factual thing. Behind yeah, it, it's, all I'm relaying. it's all anecdotal. So my friend, he works in hospitality and in New York city, they recently like extended the um, vaccinations to people who do work in restaurants and hospitality. And so he went, he went online to get an appointment. His appointment was made in Bushwick at predominantly you know, African-American, like black, Latino community. And he's waiting in line to um, get his vaccine and he's looking around and the line is like predominantly white. Like he's like, he's like everyone around him. He's like looking, he's like, why is this? Are you like, he like started to feel weird about it. He's like, I'm this white guy <laughs> getting in the Bushwick, vaccine yeah. in Bushwick and everyone. So I was just like, that. it was just like, it was like interesting that he could even it's like a gentrification nightmare. Well, yeah. I think I think there's a few reasons. One is that there's definitely less trust based on yes. some historical things, I think, in mm-hmm. Black and Latino communities. That's number one. Number two is that I think generally it like shows structural, it exposes structural issues with the healthcare system, which is that like white people are already have providers, like they're already part of a medical network. Maybe they are more likely to have better insurance. Like not that that is necessarily mm-hmm. driving this, but also if you look at like how most essential workers were people of color, what would make sense would be to vaccinate those people at their places of work so that they right. don't have to like take a day off to go get their vaccine similar. It's really similar to like sort of like voting, making sure everyone yes. votes. Like there need to be people who go into those communities that are trusted 
whether it's religious leaders or, or organizers, and they're the ones who need to be organizing the vaccinations and yeah. bringing it to them. I think that that for whatever reason, white people are just like a little more used to go like like to going mm-hmm. to their city MD and like or maybe it's a different relationship with yeah. the field of medicine overall because it hasn't right. negatively impacted you. You haven't had unpleasant. I mean, nobody loves to go to the doctor, but imagine if every time you went to the doctor, I mean, you hear these terror stories where you're and you're like a black woman, you say you're in pain and they ignore you yes. and they right. won't treat you. You clearly have an issue that they're not dealing with. So I think, I think that's probably it too, Sammy. It's just that general, that relationship isn't as established for everybody in the same way that trust isn't there. And I've heard this repeated and I think it's so important that it's not just the lack of trust. It's the lack of trustworthiness in the institutions and they right. need to be doing a lot of this work too. And I've seen some really good signs from the administration knowing that, and from, um, I only know her first name because she's on Instagram, but like Dr. Kizzy, who made the 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 Moderna vaccine has been really vocal mm-hmm. about like, it's up to us to be trustworthy. You can't just ask them to trust you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only member of my family who's gotten it that's not a healthcare worker is my mom. And because she doesn't do anything, she sits around, she's been sitting around the house waiting for the call for a year. So of course mm-hmm. she like went in and got it, but that's a very privileged position to be in. Right. Yeah. I like I mean, why doesn't Amazon say like we're going to vaccinate our workers? Like, why don't why don't many of these hospitality companies like why are you making them go to this place? Why don't you just bring it into the hospital to the hotel that you own? That's probably empty because no one's (laughs) traveling. Like, it just seems obvious. Why wouldn't you bring it into fast food chains like where it's everything's already they already have distribution systems in place because that's their business. So why would you not just use what your infrastructure is instead of making people establish these new relationships with healthcare providers that they may not trust or may not know? It's just, it seems obvious the way to solve this issue to me, at least. Mm-hmm. I used to get flu shots at work, working yeah. in an office. Like, yeah. what is, yeah. I'm sure there's a, I mean, I feel like there has to be a reason and maybe, maybe when there's like a more coordinated effort, like but yes, it should be somebody's job to, yeah. Maybe, maybe they don't have the, enough or something, but. Yeah. Whatever Johnson it is. Johnson & Johnson is, um, once that has proliferated more, I think that's the one that's one dose and can be refrigerated yes. for up to three months as opposed to like three days. Let's just not mm-hmm. forget, if it were earning these companies money somehow, if they could find a way to <sighs> add it to their their profit margin, they would do it. Like, let's yeah. just not pretend. They would do it if it made them money. So they should just yes. do it. Right. They're like, we're going to make our people come to work, whether they're vaccinated or not. So we don't care. One pretty disturbing statistic I'm looking at now is that of the individuals vaccinated during the first month of the rollout, only 5% were black and 11% were Latino, which is abominably low. And that was despite the fact that black and Latinx people are hospitalized at four times and dying at three times the rate of white Americans. So it does sound like a distribution problem, but Brian, like you said, you saw your friend noticed something odd about Mm -hmm. how it was arranged. And there have also been accounts of, of people intentionally booking up those appointments. But if if those appointments are open, that means there's a communication problem. Like it's not necessarily the people's fault who are, I'm not saying that if like you see appointments open, don't take them, but there's clearly something happening and they're not being filled. People are like shopping. People are making multiple appointments and not showing up because they got another one that they would, they would rather have the Moderna than the Pfizer. And so no one shows up. They have it in their cart. So no one else can buy it. How mm-hmm. are they even getting 
one, let alone two appointments. I mean, it like like Amanda was saying before, if if you all you have to do all day is sit on your computer and sit on the and call and make calls and phone calls, like and you 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 have you have that luxury of like trying to be able to find appointments. I wouldn't even know yeah. where to look, frankly. <laughs> I think it's like just your gov. COVID-19 vaccine finder. And that's and a problem. Google it's that. a problem because we, we, we pay attention to things and I also wouldn't know where to look. I do wonder if maybe there will be a more coordinated PR campaign just when the government feels like it has vaccines for all the people who want to go get them. But yeah, mm-hmm. the fact that still only 50% of Americans are saying that they will go when it's their time. I mean, that's definitely, eventually we're going to hit more than 50% of Americans vaccinated and we're going to be like, well, some of y'all were lying <laughs> and you just yeah. wanted to sound like a Republican. <laughs> I am my my sort of plan was that I made my physical for April and I'm hoping that Mm. like I'll be able to to get the vaccine like for I'm hoping that they'll have the vaccine when I have my physical and then if that doesn't work I plan to make another appointment for something exactly (laughs) that's a good idea Sammy I'm gonna I'm gonna copy that well, clearly we're like, all big fans of the vaccine on the Betches stuff. Yeah. But again, this but weekend I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I need a physical, but that's but here's two the birds, thing, one stone. Like, I only have the physical because I have like the access to the Mount Sinai network. Like, yeah, I, you know, that's not yeah. universal. Yeah. Finding a doctor is hard. A new doctor is hard if you have the best health insurance. It and is just, just picking and liking somebody. So we will be watching this closely. And of course, tomorrow impeachment starts and we'll be covering that on the show for the rest of the week, including some great interviews this week. Stick around for my quick interview with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton on DC statehood. And until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Brian Russell Smith. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. 
And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Betchessa podcast. I am Amanda Duberman, and today we're so honored to be here with Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. Congresswoman Norton has been the delegate from the District of Columbia since 1991. She also previously served as the chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission under Presidents Reagan and Carter after a memorable and history-making stint at the ACLU. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. So um, we wanted to first ask you about Inauguration Day. We're a few weeks removed from the day, but I just wanted to ask what your experience of that day was. You're obviously a D.C. native, and I'm sure that the security presence in the district was shocking. But women and Black women made history that day. I'm curious, what was the most memorable part of Inauguration Day for you? Well, on Inauguration Day, I was sitting on the Capitol distanced from others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite it being a cold day, there's no getting away from how historic the day was. Uh, I remember seeing President Obama, uh, all of the leading Democratic uh, figures were there until, of course, the new president, but, uh, Joe Biden, who was Obama's vice president, came forward. So it was, despite the chill Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and despite being distanced from my colleagues, it was a most memorable day. That's awesome. Um, So we want to talk to you today primarily about D.C. statehood, which is a topic that is coming up more now that Democrats have won the House and the Senate. Two really consequential events happened, it seems, for D.C. statehood on January 6th. It seems like the district's lack of statehood made emergency law enforcement coordination really complicated and slow. That day also saw finalized victories for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, of course, giving Democrats control of the Senate and a potential path to introduce legislation or take up legislation on D.C. statehood. Why should D.C. statehood be a top priority for the Biden-Harris administration and the Senate? And I'm pleased that both the president and the vice president do strong Uh, D.C. statehood. I don't suggest that having one state with its full powers would have made uh, a big difference, for example, on January 6th. That was a failing of the Capitol Police Mm -hmm. and the Trump administration. But I do suggest that it makes no sense to be the nation's capital and to not have all the powers, including all the powers to protect yourself. Now, I do have bills in to give us control over our D.C. uh, National Guard, where that would have made a big difference. The president held them back. Uh, And there are things we can do, such as my my National Guard bill. But I've got to do this piece by piece, Mm -hmm. um, vote by vote, 
National Guard by national by the next bill, whereas D.C. would give it all to us in one package. And I'm pleased to say to, to say that with control of all three branches of government, uh, we are closer than ever to D.C. statehood. We already have 210 co-sponsors that only needs 218 to pass. Right. And how would making D.C. a state, how would it impact beneficially Americans across the country? Would it have a beneficial impact to our, how would it have a beneficial impact on our democracy overall? First, it would have a beneficial effect on our democracy. We are the only democratic nation, the only democratic nation that does not grant statehood to people who live on its, uh, who live in its capital city. It's a shame on us that for the, the entire existence of the nation's capital, there has not been that same uh, equity that are enjoyed by other nations. So it hasn't hurt them. Why should it hurt us? Mm-hmm. Now, we, what, what, what would it make? What difference would it make uh, uh, generally? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the most uh, important difference it would make would be that there would be two senators. Uh, and as it is, I passed Lots of bills. In fact, I got an award last year for passing mm-hmm. more bills than any other member of the House. But that means I have to find my way over to the Senate to get somebody over there because I have no partner there. It's like yes. it's like having one hand tied behind your back. Yeah, absolutely. We're having this conversation during Black History Month. I believe 45% of DC's population is Black and it's always been a heavily African-American area. It has a total population of about 700,000 people and zero senators or voting members in the House. You're the delegate. And just for comparison's sake, the state of Wyoming has about 580,000 people. 1% of them are Black. And that state does have two senators and a voting member of Congress. How would D.C. statehood help ensure Black Americans are properly represented in Congress? Properly is the important word here. We're not properly represented. Uh, D.C. statehood by having somebody in the other house, and the framers thought this through. They gave big states and small states. You've just indicated a small state. It gets two senators. We have about the same number of people as about six states, and they all have two senators. Only one representative. We're asking for no more because that's by population. That was the compromise that was made. Include us in that compromise. Give us two senators. We'll do with our one member as long as we get two senators and that that member is a voting member. Right. Your colleagues in the House have passed legislation in favor of D.C. statehood. In fact, you have, as you mentioned, repeatedly and prolifically. But Democrats aren't the only ones who have been passing legislation related to the issue Um, How have Republicans in Congress tried to prevent the District of Columbia from becoming a state? They've tried some, they're trying some, some different novel tactics, it seems. Well, the Republicans generally uh, have been our primary foes against the advancement toward anything, toward statehood. I've spent uh, a good amount of my time simply fighting off Republican bills to take away what the district already had. Wow. Uh, so the, the Republicans are, are the major uh, issue, but uh, we're beginning to see um, some Republicans uh, come with different uh, notions. There's a bill in to give, uh, it's called retrocession. 
that would retrocede or give back the district to Maryland. The district was made of two states, Maryland and Virginia. Nobody asked Maryland about that. And I can tell tell you one thing, Maryland already has one big city. I don't think it wants only one big city, Baltimore. I don't think it wants another. Mm -hmm. But what does retrocession tell you? That when Republicans put in that bill, that tells you that they recognize that there's something wrong with D.C., voters not having the same rights in the House and the Senate as other Americans. So that at least gets us them thinking that there is something wrong, something more than a weakness in the way we treat uh, the residents of the District of Columbia, a fundamental error that must be corrected. Yeah. So you mentioned that there were a lot of failures uh, during the Capitol insurrection that made the response pretty pretty slow. But can you explain again specifically what was not in place that day that had D.C. been a state, things would have been expedited? What was not in place was the D.C. National Guard. Okay. In fact, the president did not call out the National Guard. So he deliberately not only fomented the attack on the Capitol, but denied protection to the Capitol. And that's one of the reasons that we're now going through through a uh, through yet another impeachment of the president. Yeah. I wanted to turn to impeachment briefly. Um, you are an iconic freedom of speech lawyer. You've written about how you and other activists and the SNCC utilized the First Amendment to protest and demand civil rights withheld at the time. And you later, and by later, I mean, I believe you were 31 successfully argued a case before the Supreme Court on behalf of the National States Rights Party, which at the time called itself a white supremacist organization. I would love to get your point of view on Trump's lawyer's argument that what he said before the Capitol insurrection was protected speech as one of the nation's most iconic First Amendment lawyers. What he, what he said was equivalent to yelling fire in a, in a crowded theater. You can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, I, I don't blame them for raising the free speech argument because they really don't have many arguments to raise. And so they're saying, they're saying it's free speech. You can't incite people. Uh, you can't say, I am commanding you virtually to go to the Capitol and wreak havoc. And if, if uh, free speech means that for a public official, then you better watch out because you can get on television yet and start a riot. I don't think you can do that using, as a defense, free speech. Right, right, exactly. I mean, when you were arguing that so long ago, did you think that so many years later our country would be experiencing a similar debate about what speech is is to potentially could incite violence? And what's, I think the, the interesting thing about the, your case was that you successfully argued it to the Supreme Court because it found that it had exhibited an unconstitutional prior restraint on speech. I'm just curious your sort of point of view on the general First Amendment conversation now about what is protected speech, uh, specifically as it relates to social media. Well, look, I think that's a good case. My case, to point out the case I argued before the Supreme Court that happened to do with a prior restraint. Uh, that's the worst kind of violation of the First Amendment, keep somebody from speaking before uh, he speaks. Now, the your question on free speech for for what be beyond prior restraint is what? I'm just curious your perspective on the sort of debate about whether um, 
you know, incitements of violence on social media, if that can be restrained constitutionally? What do you think about that overall debate? I don't think on social media that can be restrained. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Again, you've got to have an audience that's there to act and you've got to yell fire, go act. Mm -hmm. That's what the president did. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for, for your time and your service. My actual last question, as you said, you have intro- you have been relentless in introducing legislation and to promote D.C. statehood. And as you said, also batting away legislation that tries to undermine it. What keeps you going? Oh, <laughs> that's nothing like having a good fight every day to keep you going. <laughs> that's great advice. That's great advice. I'll take that. Thank you so much for your time, Congresswoman. We really appreciate it. That Just Up podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our podcast director is Sean Kilby. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SupPod at Betches.com. Betches.